Yeah, Michigan State uh, played a football game Saturday, and we're going to talk about it. You are Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Spartan friends, Spartan family, even the haters. I know you guys are tuning in as well because, wow, what a... What a game for Michigan State on Saturday. We're going to get into it all, uh, obviously the negatives, but even some positives at the end. So stick around for that if you want a little bit of sunshine in your life here. Uh, but hey, before we get to any of that, thank you so much for making us your first listen. Every single day here in the Locked On Podcast Network, we do this five days a week, Monday through Friday. And, well, oh, hold on. Okay, yep, Washington just completed another 18-yard pass. All right, sorry about that. Got distracted. Um, Yes, hey, I'm your host, Matt Sheehan, and again, thank you guys so much, especially after a loss. This is not a Victory Monday podcast, but we got a ton to talk about here today. Uh, it's the game on Saturday. It was the game that ended 39-28, to and quite frankly, it was not even that close. Uh, just a few quick notes I want to bang out here before getting into the meat of the first segment. Uh, first of all, sincerest apologies have to be extended to anyone that traveled to Seattle for that game. Um, I don't know what else to say other than sorry. Like, if you're listening to this podcast as you're traveling back home, God bless you. You guys are great fans. I uh, love the tailgating pictures. You guys showed out in Husky Stadium, but wow, I, I just feel horrible for you guys. Number two, we're not going to get too ahead of our skis here. I know I can get pretty emotional and riled up, but hey, let's let's. Uh, the season's not over. Like there are still at least nine games left this year, so want to level set right now. Where we're going to try to <laughs> approach this game in a mature fashion. But yes, the season's not over. It was a tough environment against a tough team, and yes, there are some positives that still can be taken away from this game. But there's a whole lot of negative. As well, and so let's just get to that right now. Let's stop wasting time. Uh, and actually, you know what? We're going to start off the the negative of the game here uh, by anointing someone with the MVP. And I think the MVP of the game on Saturday was the the camera crew and production crew for ABC for putting the camera on Scotty Hazelton as much as they did on Saturday. We saw MSU get carved like an Easter ham once again. This, this didn't seem like the first time this happened this season. Oh, this is a one-off thing after two good games. No. This seemed just like a continuation of what we saw constantly last season. Soft coverage, no answer for third and lawns, and let's just keep getting into it, shall we? Um, Look, this, <laughs> this is exactly what we talked about on Friday. We said... Pretty much what was going to happen verbatim on Friday's preview show is that, look, I said that Penix was going to have a good game. Regardless, because they're going to give up the 8-yard hitch routes. They're going to give up the underneath routes all day long, you know, to limit the big plays. But also, too, uh, and we didn't include this, but it's on the film from last season that 12 and 27 were on the menu very early for the hungry, hungry Huskies team. They schemed routes to get those guys going deep and putting points on the board. Now, back to what we talked about on Friday. I said one of the keys to the Spartan victory would be to pressure Michael Penix. Guy has not been sacked all season. He is living in pockets so large, you could land a helicopter in those things, and he had all day to throw. Michigan State barely even attempted any blitzes 
on Saturday. Penix was so comfortable, and that's how you go from, well, a good game, which was inevitable because, well, we all know Michigan State's pass defense, to a nearly 400-yard game for Michael Penix as he was just chilling the entire night. Chilling the entire night. And look, hey, we called it. We called it. And is this saying, uh, hey, throwing this all in your face to brag about it, that, oh, I'm so smart, I told you exactly what was going to happen. No, it's not that. This is me, me, an idiot with a microphone, telling you exactly what was going to happen on defense, exactly what had to be done on defense to limit the great game. Again, I'm, I'm just a clown with a YouTube channel and a microphone and hats that I wear. That's, that's pretty much all I got. If I can nail what was going to happen on Saturday, what are professional coaches that are paid six figures or over a million dollars going to do to your defense? Oh, they're going to drop almost 400 yards on your head and essentially end the game by the time the first quarter even came to a close. And what are the excuses? Like, there, there are none. Okay, what, the, the Ben Van Sumeran roughing the passer? Yeah, that was a BS call. But let's all be adults about this here. Okay, Washington was going to get 15 yards in the next play probably, like they did the entire night on Saturday. Okay, look, the injuries are not treating Michigan State well. Jacob Slade didn't even make the trip. Darius Snow at linebacker, you're missing out on. And hey, the, the key guy, Xavier Henderson at safety, is tough. But they all played last year, and the same things happened last year. Look, you have the guy, Kendall Brooks, second-year safety. It's your job to make sure that he is ready to go. Secondary got carved up. I, I don't think the injuries you could really excuse because also you lost by double digits, only 11 points, but yeah, probably should have, could have been a lot larger. And okay, the, the secondary, the, the pass defense, look, we, we all know the story there. The, the, the old fun quote in the offseason was Mel Tucker saying, oh, it's not like you could get any worse from last year. Well, <laughs> they're trying their best, aren't they? But what's also more backbreaking than that is the third downs. This team just loves, loves giving up massive plays on third downs. On scoring drives, Washington converted a third and six, another drive they converted a fourth and five, and another drive they converted a third and five. Also, hey, you remember that first drive they had that Michigan State stopped at the one-yard line? Okay, they also converted a fourth and five there, a third and 12 there. So instead of getting off the field, you eventually stopped them at the one-yard line, which was good. There's something to be said about that. Great stop there, guys. But also the next play, it led to a safety. You were backed up against your own end zone. Okay, now, the next time you had a goal line stand, uh, yeah, there was a third and eight converted on that other stop. We all know what happened then. Peyton Thorne had one of his very few mistakes of the game. And at that point, I, I, I personally think the game was out of reach. But yeah, and uh, with that said, it, it is funny that the only time the defense was good was at the one-yard line because they didn't have the option of giving up 12 yards on defense through the air. The only reason they didn't get carved up at the one-yard line is because there's only one yard to go. I mean, so yeah, I guess Ben don't break? I, I can't even say that seriously anymore. No, it's, it's just more of the same from last year, and it falls on Scotty Hazleton. Look, we can talk about the players. Did they play a perfect game? No, probably not. Um, the scheme probably has something to do with it. Look, when it's this bad... It's a cocktail of everything, and when it's a cocktail of everything, it goes to the top, and that's on Mel Tucker, and that's on Scotty Hazleton. Now, Mel Tucker did offer up a quote that almost had me throwing my phone uh, clean into the forest uh, yesterday. After the game, he said, quote, when looking at the film, we're going to be sick because it's going to be death by inches. 
Okay, how about death by yards? How about death by yards? And I'm not talking just passing yards, but the amount of yards between the receiver and the next closest tackler even to him. Third down, you can count on the receiver having as much room around him as it would take to land a 747 comfortably around them. Penix dropped his second highest career yards marked with 397 on Saturday. And I'm in a group chat, you know, just like maybe a lot of you are, just you know, complaining up and down about the Spartans. And I said, hey, I'm actually for the show going to look up past quarterback performances against Michigan State from last year to see who had their career best days. And good friend Jake Schemmel, that's right, at the ShemWow on Twitter, he actually hit me up. He's like, hey, beat you to it. Already did it. Sent me the notes app. So, hey, he saved me a lot of time and put in a lot of good research here. So, let's go back to see how other quarterbacks did against Michigan State secondary from last year. Okay, starting with Northwestern, Hunter Johnson, 283 yards. That's his career high, and he also had a career high completions total as well. Miami, Derek Kane, 388 yards. That's his second highest career yards and highest completions that he's had in his career. Western Kentucky, Bailey Zappi, 488 yards in that high-flying defense. It's a tough offense to play against. Second highest career yards, though, and the highest amount of completions he had. U of M last year. Cade McNamara, 383 yards. That was his career high. That was his highest completions ever. And oh yeah, he did it splitting snaps with J.J. McCarthy. He didn't even really play a full game, and he still cleared career highs in both those categories. Purdue's Aiden O'Connell, 536 yards against your defense, Scotty. That's his highest for yards and highest completions in a single game. Ohio State, C.J. Stroud. 432 yards, second most yards he's had in his career, and the highest completion percentage. Oh yeah, he also left the game after a half. He could have dropped 800 on you if he really wanted to because it's all day. It's all day against your defense. And last but not least from last year, Penn State's Sean Clifford, 313 yards. Not that bad. Only his seventh highest in his career. But that was all in a driving snowstorm, if you remember. You aren't supposed to pass in those conditions, but leave it to MSU's defense and the scheme and whatever word you want to call it. But yeah, it is open season when a quarterback is taking snaps against Michigan State and happened again Saturday. It's going to happen again in two weeks against Maryland. It's probably going to happen again the rest of the season because, hey, if you were going to change something, you probably already were going to do it by now. And oh my... Now again, hey, we're going to try to be mature about this. I'm going to try to be rational, level-headed. Um, am I saying fire him right now? No, I, no, 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 not me. No, come on. Uh, but, oh boy, that seat's turned all the way up. And I don't think that Michigan State's going to fire a defensive coordinator midway through a season anyway. But yeah, you have nine games to drastically turn this around. Not just turn this around, drastically turn this around because it is that bad. Hey, can't get any worse than last year. Really? It seems like you're trying really hard to top last year. Uh, and so Michael Penix, uh, comfortable Michael Penix, keep in mind, is the first quarterback to throw a dagger in you. And hey, let's be honest too, probably could have been DJ Irons last week for Akron if he didn't leave the game due to injuries in the middle of the second quarter. But I, I, I digress. What are you going to do? Uh, actually, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to be talking more about this game. There's some more negatives. There's another coach that's not completely off the hook entirely. Uh, but first, got to talk your ear off about betonline.net. 
That's right. Ends up to find folks at Bet Online knows what they're doing, putting Michigan State as three and a half point underdogs at uh, Seattle over the weekend. And if you want to bet on the upcoming Minnesota game, go check the lines out at BetOnline.net, your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts. Bet online, guys. It is always your continued source for your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf, is at Bet Online. So head to their wonderful website today, use your mobile device, learn more about the trends and action. That is at Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, as we get more into uh, what, happened, what happened Saturday, uh, hey, thanks a lot for making us your first listen or watch every single day here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're going to be back tomorrow. Uh, we got Stephen Brooks. Look, if, if you think I'm a little too overreactionary, we're going to play reaction, overreaction or proper reaction with Stephen tomorrow, amongst other questions that we have for him because, hey, Stephen's a great football mind, so tune into tomorrow's show as well. Like I said, a lot to talk about. Um, okay. So before, you know, getting into the other coach that mm, we're going to have some sideways eyes for, uh, hmm, no one wrote about our feelings as state fans better than Lansing State Journal columnist Graham Couch. Uh, big fan of Graham. Does great work. Uh, one of my favorite pieces he always does is three quick takes after the game, and he hit it out of the park with his one sentence from his three quick takes piece. What really twisted the knife in Washington, and what really just kind of left a bad taste in our mouth is, quote, this is what Graham Couch wrote, MSU was outclassed in every facet by a program in an earlier stage of its rebuild than the Spartans are under Tucker. Knocked it completely out of the park. Yes, Washington, they won, I think, what, two games last year? They lost to an FCS team last year. Already in year one, Kalen DeBauer, Michael Penix, absolutely outclassed Michigan State in every facet of the game. Scheming, having their players ready, just executing. So, yeah, that really hurts as well to see over on the West Coast a rebuilding program drub Mel Tucker in his third year at Michigan State. But, hey, there's a revenge game next year. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I think Michael Penix can come back next year. I think he's only a junior. Don't ask me how that's even possible. I don't know how that's possible, but yeah, so maybe you can get him back at home next year. But look, we also got to tip our cap to Washington, right? Um, their offensive line was great. Uh, and yes, they dealt with a lot of just four-man rushes, but these are four-man rushes against the team that came into the game leading the nation in sacks. That's as a team with 12, and also individually, Jacoby Winman led the country in sacks as well. And uh, that was all. All without their back-to-back Pac-12 first-team player, Jackson Kirkland, at left tackle. They did this all with the young kids they have, uh, new unit, everything like that, and uh, zero sacks again. And really, zero stress at all for Michael Penix for most of the night. And when we're talking offensive line and how good Washington's was, I start to look at Michigan State's offensive line and wonder what's going on in that room because uh hey look on friday we said we're gonna get a lot of questions answered this week against uh western michigan against akron you're not gonna get a lot of questions answered those aren't really established teams necessarily if i could put it lightly you're gonna play another power five program we're gonna get questions answered one of the questions we had answered uh hey run game was looking really good the first two games is this something we could count on all year 
1.4 yards per carry later on Saturday night? Nah. I, I'm, I'm not saying they're trash. I'm not saying they're bad. I mean, no, it's, it's good. The run game's just going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And Washington's run defense isn't anything special either, which is what really hurts. The offensive line just wasn't that great against the run game. And, uh, okay, who are we going to look at now? Just like the first segment, I'll be looking to the coaching staff here. I'll be looking to one of the few position coaches that are making north of a million dollars. Now, look, this isn't my money. I mean, I don't have any financial stake in his salary, but still, wow. Hey, if you want to pay your head coach 9.5, if both coordinators are going to make a million, if you want to be one of the few schools that has a position coach, not even a coordinator, a position coach making north of a million dollars, I think we're inbounds to have big boy expectations and treat this like a big boy program. Well, you got to get the big boys playing because that was not good run blocking. The Huskies lived in the backfield. I swear Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard sometimes were getting met by a Husky before they were even getting met with the ball. Um, you could just point to one play, really, to be the most detrimental play from the offensive line. And it's when Michigan State was backed up to the one-yard line. That's right. Thank you, defense. Uh, great job, Scotty. Oh, yeah, Ben, don't break. All right. Okay, well, what if uh, the offense breaks because they have one yard to work with, the offensive line gets blown up, and your running back is wearing Crocs and just slips into the end zone. That's a safety. Now it's a two-possession game, and uh-oh, you're already down two possessions, and you know Washington's offense is going to carve you up the rest of the night? That was an early way to end the game. So, yeah, I don't think it's out of bounds to ask for a little more from the offensive line and be a tad underwhelmed here they had a good first two games and look these kids are trying their hardest it's not a attacking the kids thing it's a I'm looking at the adult in the room um and I don't think that's necessarily unfair because for 1.4 yards per carry against that run defense which is nothing to write home about oh oh my that okay that that's a little concerning as we are about to get into a big 10 schedule yeah no more Group of five teams on your schedule. So, yeah, the eighth, and the eraser's gone, right? I mean, this just reiterates how great Kenneth Walker was last year. He, he could dance your way out of some follies from the offensive line. That's why they called him the eraser. He would get rid of every mistake the offensive line made, and you don't have those guys anymore. Look, I think Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard are still fine, even though Broussard seemed to be, like, I don't shook the whole game. I... I go back to a quote that Ephraim Reed, the running backs coach, said last week is that during the offseason, you know, he started off like kind of pressing, you know, like really overthinking things. And after the first two games, it's like, well, he looks pretty good. Nice. I, I, I in my opinion, I, I saw a young man that was pressing and trying to do a lot and think way too fast on Saturday. But I, that could be a topic of conversation for a different day because, uh, yeah, um, there's a lot of questions that were answered. And that was the first question, the, the run game. Yeah, it'll be okay. It's fine. Um, I don't expect them to, you know, go 1.4 yards the rest of the way, but, I, you know, I'm not going to count on them to bang out 6.1 yards per carry every single way. It's, it's a fine run game. It's fine. Uh, another question answered is, yeah, the pass rush uh, probably isn't, like, top 10, top 15 in the country good. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll give it another game or two against a, a Power 5 opponent. Maybe we're still underrating how good Washington's offensive line is. But you go into the game with 12 sacks, which, you know, leads the nation, and then you hang up zero. I, I mean, yeah, that, that was a, a nice slam of the brakes right there on expectations. But with that said, it's it could still be a good pass rush. It's just not going to be elite, I think. And maybe that's an overreaction. We'll ask Stephen Brooks that tomorrow. But, yeah, in my opinion, I think it's just going to be a good pass rush. And 
more years than not, you take a good pass rush. But yeah, the the nation leading stats from Jacoby Winman from the rest of the team, maybe a small mirage. Maybe you did just get away with playing Western Michigan and Akron. But hey, hey a lot of season left. Maybe uh, that, that tide will turn and uh, Saturday's game was just an anomaly. Or maybe they actually decide to bring more pressure. Uh, another question answered too, which is not one that I thought we had going into the game. But wow, uh, always thought Jacob Slade was pretty damn good. Turns out he's really, really good uh, because Washington kind of did well in the run game. Now, I know the box score says it was like 2.8 yards per carry, something like that. Still, their main running back got 4.1 yards per carry, and they were able to get the run going, especially early in the game. And, um, yeah, Jacob Slade, I miss you. Please come back. Uh, also, another question answered. Uh, well, yeah, pass defense is the same as last year. I don't know if to go any further on that. And then the last one is actually going to lead into our last segment here, and that is Peyton Thorne. So let's talk about Peyton Thorne right now. Uh, I actually thought really highly of him on Saturday. I really did. I saw like a few complaints online on Twitter about like Peyton Thorne's game. And first of all, like, hey, no, everyone can take their own takeaways from a game. But like, if, if Peyton Thorne's performance was your biggest takeaway from Saturday's game, despite everything that was going on in defense, the offensive line, I that shocks me. Okay, that, that that's like asking... Abe Lincoln's wife after the play, like, oh, what did you think of the game? And her biggest takeaway was, eh, I thought my chair was a little rickety. Um, you know, like, oh, that's, wow, of, of everything that happened here this afternoon, this is your biggest take. Anyway, uh, I thought Thorne was fine, if not really good, actually, on Saturday. And, yeah, I know it's on your the top of your mind right now if you didn't think he played well. That interception when he was backed up to the one-yard line. Yeah, look, it wasn't a perfect game. That was a really bad mistake. It was really bad. But the full body of work? Loved what we saw from Peyton Thorne. I, I truly did. And this also goes for the whole team as well. And I'll, I'm going to take one more Mel Tucker quote. This is actually a good quote because, you know, I wholly agree with it. Quote, I saw a team that continued to play the next play throughout the whole game. Guys continued to play hard. Yeah, this game was effectively over in the second quarter, but you would not know that with how hard the players played. And that's why I hope, you know, if you've made it this long in the podcast, um, I hope my previous criticisms... I hope I reflected that well that I'm talking to the coaches, not necessarily the players. I think the players were, were not prepared. They were not set up for success. And I thought the players responded as well as they could have in a really tough environment, especially when that environment gets rocking right off the bat. Just immediately right off the bat. Touchdown first drive, safety not too long after that, and then another touchdown. And But MSU's player did, did not crumble. And I think Peyton Thorne was one of those guys that led that charge as well. Look, he, he's down early. He's backed up to the one-yard line. The, the defense has set him up for failure. And he's missing his top target. <laughs> I mean, what more could you want from other Like 30 of 42 passing, three touchdowns. I, I thought he did really well, especially considering how his first two games looked. Like, am I saying that he's going to be a Heisman content? No. Like, I... It's okay to say a guy just had a good game, and we can be feeling good about him moving forward. Uh, now, is it a fix-all? Is he just going to be all fine and well the rest of the season? No, I mean, I'm sure like last year he'll have ups and downs, but at least he got himself out of the down that he had in the last two weeks, and we're starting to see the Peyton Thorn that we like. And also, who we really like too, and this is the next positive, Keon Coleman, Keon Coleman is him. Keon Coleman is that man. He is that guy. He has that dog in him, uh, and we, we could be dealing with the guy that could be, 
hearing his name read at the NFL draft in a few years on the first night, if not very early in the second night, because uh, he, he looked the part. He looked like that physically imposing, incredibly talented, incredibly skilled receiver that we were all hoping that he would be in his sophomore year. Nine catches, two touchdowns, some two-point conversion grabs too, and his first game over 100 yards receiving. Again, you know this, Jaden Reed was out of the game. Sone had to step up. That was Neon Keon Coleman. So, I mean, what, what else can you say other than, yeah, he played a really good game. So you can feel good about that. And also, too, Daniel Barker, seven catches. Uh, Trey Mosley is still Trey Mosley. This is still a passing unit that can be fine. Yes, Jaden Reed uh, has odd injury issues going on. He's got the cut in his back. Also, it came out in preseason that his ankles or feet have something wrong with them, too. So will he be in every game moving forward this season? I don't know. But if he is out, it might not be as crushing of a blow as it may seem. It's definitely a downgrade, no doubt about it. We never want to see him out of the game. But you can look at the other guys in the receiving room and be like, okay, well, yeah, next man up. This is a position group where you can say next man up and then feel pretty okay about it. So and there's something to be said there with the positives. Um, but, yeah, the pass game overall, I really inspired. <laughs> really uh, enthused by what I saw on Saturday. Again, d- despite just like less, less than a handful of, of mistakes made by Peyton Thorne. He, his trajectory is going up. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if, if you're not on that boat. Uh, yeah. Uh, but also, another positive, um, it's, it's a non-conference game, right? Uh, it Yeah, it's... It doesn't matter for the, for the Big Ten title chase, if, if you still want to talk about that. Uh, it's technically correct. Um, okay, look, I need to talk about the non-conference schedule because, uh, obviously, hey, the school down the road, Michigan, they, they play absolutely no one. Like, it was, what, Colorado State? Horrible. Hawaii? Even worse. UConn? Just as bad. And, uh, hey, some people are like, oh, well, hey, at least we played a schedule and we weren't cowards and uh, played a bunch of high school teams. Here's a hot take, maybe, um, and I, I never do this. I absolutely hate their guts. I despise everything they do and everything they stand for, but I'm actually going to give Michigan a lot of credit here because that is how you should schedule your season. If it's up to me, and call me a coward. You're free to call me a coward, but I'm a correct coward here. I would try to schedule Lansing Sexton, Bath High School, and then Waverly High School to see if they're available on Saturdays. It is a no-brainer to get three layups to start your season. Why set yourself up for failure that you really don't have to set yourself up for against a good Power 5 team? You think Ohio State liked scheduling Oregon last year? Like, they had to run the table to get to the playoff. They didn't. They lost to Michigan. But let's say instead of Oregon, they played, oh, I don't know, Youngstown State. Okay, they're still 11-1 at the end of the season. They're probably going to the college football playoff anyway. Now, with that said, am I expecting Michigan State to be a college football playoff team? Like, no. Not entirely, I didn't think that, but hey, I don't blame anyone that thought that because you came off an 11-win season last year, and now the rest of the way in the Big Ten East of all divisions in the country, you got to run the table to get to the college football playoff, and now you have a loss because you went to a tough environment against a tough team instead of just loading up your schedule with cupcakes. And in the four-team college football playoff, that's the name of the game. You just got to get to 12-0 or 11-1. We don't have to lie to ourselves and saying, oh, it might come down to strength of schedule at the... No, it's not. It's going to come down to brand name, first of all. And uh, again, are you 12-0 or are you 11-1? Because the rest of the country, too, is cannibalizing themselves. Oh, yeah, because they're also scheduling tough games as well. So, no, if it was up to me, I'd go back in time. 
I would uh, overthrow the athletic department. I'd become the AD, and I would schedule to just oh, Boy Scout troop number four one three. Um, the, the VFW hall down the road. And then I don't know the, the first 11 fans that show up, uh, on the third week, I guess is who I would play because why not give yourself a three game preseason before you get into a gauntlet of the big 10 East. Anyway, I, I know that we all want to just joke about Michigan's non-conference schedule, but at the end of the day, yeah, that's how you should do it. Don't put yourself in danger. That isn't necessary. You know, I, I don't think that's uncalled for like last week. Uh, let's say Alabama's kicker misses that field goal. In Austin, okay, now Alabama has to run the rest of the season through the SEC flawlessly. But no, luckily, you know, for them, the field goal did go well. Again, hey, yeah, this is coward talk. I am a coward in saying that you should have the easiest schedule possible, but I think I'm right here on this one. Uh, and I will and I will admit when, when I'm wrong, no doubt about it. I've been wrong many a times on this show, but uh, this is not one of these times. Uh, also, hey, another positive. This is from emailer Zach, who hit us up at LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com. He pointed out that all eight losses in the Mel Tucker era at Michigan State have all been by double digits. So what's the positive in that? Is that, hey, at least we're not getting our heart ripped out at the very end of games. At least we know pretty early in the contest that, uh uh-oh, things aren't going well at all. So, uh, yeah, you could just, like, go on with the rest of your life a little earlier than, you know, losing on a last-second field goal or anything like that. So there might be something to be said about that. And uh, the last positive I have, hey, I'm really feeling myself right now. We went 4-1 in best bets last week. So, yes, keep it tuned. This Friday's episode, we got five more best bets. If you want to fade those, uh, if you think the numbers are eventually going to even out, might be a good time to do so. So, yes, guys. Um, hey, if you're watching this after a loss, uh, God bless you. Thank you so much for keeping it tuned to Lockdown Spartans. You guys are truly the best. I really mean that, especially those fans that travel to Seattle. But if you were like me... You just stayed home. You still watch the game. You guys are also the best, too. I love every single one of you guys. Um, again, Stephen Brooks on tomorrow's show. We're going to have a Minnesota preview with the guys over at Locked on Gophers later this week, too. And then anything else that is to talk about will be talked about here on Locked on Spartans five days a week. That's right. Hey, love you all. Let's have a great week. Big bounce back game coming up. Go Green.